This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy Jim Harbaugh is interviewing day to those who celebrate, um, also known as National Signing Day, a curious day for a prominent college football head coach to interview for a vacant NFL job. We'll get to that in just a little bit here. We'll get to the Timberwolves, who had a nice win over the Nuggets the other night. We'll get to a big lawsuit um, connected a little bit to the Vikings coaching search, not directly uh, by any means, but uh, Brian Flores, the former Dolphins head coach, suing the NFL and teams for um, you know, basically allegedly conducting sham interviews to try to satisfy the Rooney rule that says you must interview um, minority coaches for head coach and general manager vacancies. So interesting twist right there. And we'll get to Tom Brady. We ended last uh, the last show Tuesday kind of uh, not believing that he was really waffling about retirement. And then about 30 minutes later, he announced on Instagram that he is, in fact, retiring. So maybe we can look back at his career just a little bit. But first, what did I miss? As I alluded to at the start of the show, we got to start with the Vikings again. We'll have Jerry Zagoda on the show here as well in just a little bit to talk. Um, U.S. men's national team soccer big match Wednesday night um, in the freezing cold against Honduras, a World Cup qualifier at Allianz Field. So Jerry will join me in a little bit. Um, but we're going to start with the Vikings today, as we have many times here lately, conducted their third, uh, third second interview. It's a hard thing to say, kind of third second interview on uh, on Tuesday with Patrick Graham, uh, defensive coordinator with the Giants. Um, reports saying that he, um, Star Tribune reports saying he interviewed for nine hours at TCO Performance Center, and this was after... Um, the Vikings had met with Kevin O'Connell and Raheem Morris, the offensive and defensive coordinators, respectively, from the Rams on Monday in L.A. As Ben Gessling and I talked about on Tuesday's show, a lot changed. On Tuesday, they were supposed to interview D'Amico Ryans, but he pulled out of the uh, the, the race, so to speak. Um and then they uh, they added Jim Harbaugh's interview, and they added Patrick Graham's second interview. So Harbaugh is obviously the big one here. Um, a report out of Michigan suggesting that he basically has already been telling people that he is going to take this job, that the job is basically, you know, is, that this is mostly a formality, that uh, that he's coming here to essentially seal the deal. And that would be, I mean... Again, we've talked about this a bunch of times, but from where we started in this search to where we are right now, that'd be a pretty stunning development because, you know, we heard Mark Wilf talk about the need for kind of a culture change. We talked about players talking about different things they want in a head coach. Um, we all presumed, at least, that it would probably be a head coach that was maybe more of that up-and-coming, younger offensive coordinator type, which Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator, certainly fits that profile. The other two assistants right now that the Vikings have interviewed are both defensive coordinators, but I thought both of them were also very much in the mix. Harbaugh, a different story. I mean, a guy with successful head coaching experience, was 44 
19-1 in four seasons with the 49ers. Clashed there with management, but um, not sure who was mostly to blame for that. But doesn't seem like the collaborator that they were talking about wanting in this role. Seems like more of an, um, an outsized personality would immediately come in here and be you know, the, the, the big personality in a lot of those rooms. And, you know, Koise Adolfo Mensa is going to have to be very comfortable with that idea if they are going to make this higher. It would be, you know, he would recede into the background a little bit, I would imagine, even, even if he is very much aware of Harbaugh from their time together in San Francisco. He has to know kind of what he's getting into. That said, um, the the biggest the biggest way to job security is to win. And Jim Harbaugh, of the four coaches that seem to be the most serious candidates, um, he is the most accomplished in terms of head coaching. It's just it's it's just a plain fact, given what he did with the 49ers, bringing them to three NFC title games in a row, uh, basically bringing them from nothing to the NFC title game that season um, without the benefit of an off-season program. You remember the Vikings struggled tremendously that year, and that was Leslie Frazier's first full year as head coach with the, you know, with the labor, uh, the labor strife. There was really no off season. San Francisco goes from I believe six to thirteen wins <clears throat> in Harbaugh's first season, starts a run of success that again told, got them to three straight NFC title games and one Super Bowl appearance that they nearly won against Baltimore, fell short at the very end. So. Jim Harbaugh's accomplishments not in question here. Um, you know what is in question is the direction they thought they were going, or we thought they were going at the beginning, versus where they are going now, and frankly, where they are right now with the interviewing of minority candidates. They've interviewed two black candidates: Raheem Morris, the the coordinator from the Rams, defensive coordinator from the Rams, and Patrick Graham. Um, defensive coordinator from the Giants. Now, we're, this is all with the backdrop of what I talked about at the beginning. Brian Flores suing the NFL for discriminatory practices. Brian Flores is black Latino and says basically that a lot of what's going on is a sham. I want to read from The Undefeated because Undefeated had a great piece on everything that is going on. There's been a lot of good coverage of this so far just two key paragraphs it's not the playing field isn't level for black assistant coaches it's that black assistants aren't even on the field when black assistants gather in private or share the -the off-the-record thoughts with reporters they often express frustration about their interview experiences repeatedly they allege that teams only speak with them to satisfy league rules but feelings aren't proof that's why Flores' suit could be a game changer indeed he has um, evidence from a text message exchange with Bill Belichick in which Belichick told him that the Giants had already picked Brian Dable to be their new head coach even though Flores hadn't interviewed yet and that was an accident because he was he th- he was mistaken in who he thought um, he was telling Flores about he, he thought that you know he mistakenly told Flores that he was going to be the one getting the job and he got things mixed up but now there's that piece of evidence um a lot of interesting tentacles to all of that. Um, it's just I don't know how that pieces into the, uh, the the Vikings and what's going on with uh, with their search, but it would not the optics would not be great of them interviewing Graham on Tuesday, preceded by Morris on Monday, and then 
you know, this word leaking out that it's already, perhaps it's already um, Harbaugh's job, that, that would not, the optics on that would not be great. So I think that would be a delicate dance. I think you can certainly make the case that Harbaugh is the most qualified candidate in this case, just based on record. Um, but, you know, I also think that that uh, that Florence has a really strong case and that what he is saying is true. So pay attention to that if indeed Jim Harbaugh is hired. I, I don't know what would come of that, if, it, if anything at all, but I, I do think that's an interesting piece that will be brought up if he is hired. Now, the bottom line is he is interviewing today, and we will probably know more about this pretty soon. I don't know if he's going to interview for nine hours or not. Don't know if that's even necessary. But should know a lot more about this by the time we talk again on Thursday. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to have Jerry Zagoda on Daily Delivery today. Jerry covers Minnesota United and soccer in general for the Star Tribune. And it's uh, going to be pretty chilly on Wednesday, Jerry. The big uh, the big match in town is the U.S. men's national team playing a World Cup qualifier at Allianz Field against Honduras. And, you know, they knew when they scheduled this for, you know, middle, early part of February, it could be cold. And they were probably hoping for that based on, you know, perhaps having some sort of advantage. But, Jerry, my goodness, it's supposed to be zero if zero uh, for that match. Let's talk right off the jump about the elements and and what that will mean for the players and spectators alike. Well, there's cold and then there's cold. You know, there's Columbus cold, which was, uh, I think, 26 or 29 degrees when they played uh, last week there in, in the first of the, they were playing these three qualifiers, two at home and the one they played Sunday in uh, at Canada. Um but, uh, you know, that's a big difference than uh, five degrees air temperature with a 10, 15 mile an hour wind and a 20, you know, 20 mile or 20 below wind chill. So, I mean, there's cold that they're used to playing. You know, they played cold qualifiers before, but this is a different kind of cold. Just, you know, just ask anybody who went out and uh, sat through the uh, the uh, winter classic at the Target Field a couple of weeks ago. At least those people, though, like fans and, you know, the players themselves, the hockey players, they're at least kind of used to a colder environment they've got more layers of protection maybe not the fans i mean the fans will probably be dressed somewhat the same but you know for people who are uninitiated or who are like why in the world did they schedule a world cup qualifier in minnesota in the middle of winter I mean, this is kind of something u.s soccer does especially when they're playing you know some of these warmer weather countries in these qualifiers it's all in the name of home field advantage you know they go to uh um, these teams, you know, in Mexico and in Central America and, and the Caribbean, and they're playing in the heat and the humidity and at altitude and air pollution and fans throwing batteries, and uh, that's their home field advantage. And here, I guess the best they could do is, uh, one, they put it in the Midland, you know, so you're not going, I think uh, the last time when they didn't qualify in 2018, they had a bad home loss. I think it was Costa Rica and uh, their fans either outnumbered or at least out yelled the American fans. And I think they, they one they wanted the cold weather because uh, these, you know, Honduras and El Salvador, they, they don't, you know, they probably have never seen snow or never have felt this kind of uh, weather before. And, um, 
you know, and they just that that's the home field advantage. So I, I think uh, when they when they uh, booked this, I know the the Allianz Field groundskeeper, he did all this kind of research of you know what the temperature was on February second, and it was anywhere from forty six degrees to twelve degrees. He said back when they announced the game and. November it could be anything and I think this qualifies as anything. I think it does. Um you know beyond the elements and I I know a lot of fans are, are looking forward to this. I think it'll be a fun environment as long as everybody can stay relatively warm and is dressed for it. But you know beyond the elements this is a pretty important match in you know in this qualifying. The US just lost to Canada which has already now clinched its spot in the World Cup. Um US like you said missed Missed out on qualifying in 2018, really a sore spot in U.S. soccer history. They're currently second in the standings, but they're kind of bunched up. And, you know, Honduras, a struggling team, they cannot qualify for the World Cup. They've already been knocked out, but there's a lot to, there's a lot at stake in this match. Well, you can't lose this one because you can't lose to a team that hasn't won yet, who's, as you said, they were eliminated, I think, on on Sunday, their last place, uh, winless. And I mean, that would just be a, a crushing defeat going into the final three qualifiers in March. Um, you know, to, to, to get there, obviously a, uh, win over Canada would have been great, but, uh, you know, the one thing you can't do is you can't, you can't lose to Honduras and, you know, you, they, they scheduled this thinking it was the, the, uh, uh, home field advantage, but you, you wonder at any point, you know, does the cold become the kind of the great equalizer? We'll see. I mean, Honduras has got nothing to play for. They're probably just warming the plane up to to, to, to leave when they're done to get out of here. So um, we'll see. But it's, I mean, any of these qualifiers, it's never usually very easy. I mean, uh, it's they'll they'll play. You know, El Salvador, I think, it was a one a one nil game. So uh, um, we'll see what if what effect the the weather has. But uh, you know. Minnesota fans, I'm an, I'm an old-timer. I say they've got a little soft, soft from the days when they used to go to Vikings playoff games out of Old Met Stadium and no matter what the weather. But uh, they bundled up for the for the uh, Winter Classic, and I'm sure there'll be plenty uh, bundled up tomorrow night. Now, we've the players are tra- were training on Tuesday. It was a little bit more um, reasonable outside on Tuesday, although starting to get colder by the time they train. Have they said much about you know playing in these conditions and what they're kind of – you know what they're looking what they're looking for in this match. Well, they all they all have said you know well we've played in the cold before, but uh, you know like I said before, this is a different kind of cold for anybody who's never been here. You know you you breathe in and you can feel it freeze when it's that kind of cold, kind of all the way up your nostrils. So I mean that's that's different than even like England. You know they play through the winter and all that stuff, and they get some snow, but they don't get uh, or or Europe they don't get this kind of unless you're playing in Russia. You know this bone chilling kind of. Uh, uh, weather so um i know uh greg berthalter the 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 u.s coach says it's all a mindset that's all it is so um we'll see if it's more than that there's a certain amount of fatalism that sets in with u.s fans and we started to see we saw it certainly certainly early in this qualifying cycle maybe they didn't get off to the best start and then again when they lost to canada 2-0 on sunday um, if this one starts out poorly, let's let's say you know again, uh, Honduras certainly a huge betting underdog. I think I saw there was like they were like thirteen to one underdogs in this match, and for good reason. But let's say they get an early goal, or if it's nil nil at halftime, I would imagine there's going to be some kind of murmuring from the uh, from the frozen crowd because you know just knowing what's you know what's at stake here and not wanting to 
you know, blow this chance to, uh, to, to, you know, to get into prime position to qualify, especially after missing out last time? Now that's the question. Will they murmur or will they try to lift them up and carry them on? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, everybody involved over there, hopefully it doesn't come to that, that, they, you know, they get an early goal and a couple of them and, you know, you, you get a Honduras team that's just looking for an excuse to leave, to, to, to leave early. But, uh, you know, that, that's what makes it interesting this weather makes it interesting to see how it will or will it at all impact you know what happens on the pitch form wise where's the u.s at right now in terms of injuries in terms of who who might play in this match well they've got a couple guys out um and uh you know you think oh they lost two nothing to canada but after the game uh Berhalter, you know basically said we played great we just didn't get the results so he, he liked the way they possessed the ball he thought they dominated play but then they gave up a goal in the seventh minute and the 95th minute, and they they, they left uh, losers with, with nothing in their hands. So um, I don't know if that's uh, you know just the coach when things go bad to be the optimist and, and talk it up, or whether you know you really believe that. But uh, you know they've uh, the thing, what they do have even with a couple guys out, they do have the depth on this team. So uh, and we'll see how much they need it, to, particularly in particularly in the cold. Yes, we will. That's tomorrow. Uh, sorry, Wednesday night, six thirty p.m. at Allianz Field. Jerry will be there. You'll be uh, trying to stay warm, I would imagine. Um, let's let's shift gears, Jerry, a little bit to talk some Minnesota United before we go, because their season, um, they're they're in training right now. They've been down in Florida for a while. They've even been playing some exhibition preseason matches for you know. It feels like their season ended not all that long ago, but here we are. Again, um, any you know anything off season of note to it to, to get into as we kind of think about 2022 and where they left off in 2021 since we haven't really chatted about that for a little while. Well, they took the comparatively in Florida the bad weather with them. The first couple of the, several days they were there, it was cold and rainy and and really windy. And Adrian Heath, who's lived there for the last seven years, says he's he'd never seen it like that. So I think it's moderated and gotten better the last couple of days. But they went down there thinking they're going to train in the the sun and 70, 80 degrees, and uh, they had a couple of days that uh, certainly was better than here, but uh, not what they anticipated. And but they always like to go down and get on the grass. You know, you can't do that here when you're playing in the bubble up on, on the turf. So they get down even even if the weather's a little blustery, then they'll come back. They played their first uh, game on what was it uh, Saturday um, against Chicago. It was a scoreless draw, so it was pretty une- uneventful. As, as uh, he said, and then they've got one on Thursday against Orlando, and then they're going straight to the airport and, and flying home. They're getting, a, uh, I guess, a, a look at some of the kind of the young, faster guys they've added through the uh, through the offseason. You know, they're still missing a couple of guys. I don't think Robin Ludd's back with them yet. Michael Boxel's still playing a qualifier for New Zealand somewhere in the, in the world, so he's uh, uh, still on his way. They're still waiting for the kid from South Africa. They sign along Wange or Wane, or I'm having a hard time pronouncing some of the names of the guys they added. Uh, just a good thing that I'm not a, an announcer or broadcaster. So, um, <laughs> but um, Adrian seems to, seems like the, the shape his guys came back in and, uh, and what he's got, but um, one, we'll see what happens when they put them all together. They come back for a week from Orlando. And then I think they go to Portland for about 10 days and play three more games and kind of a round robin sort of tournament out there. So, but the, as you said, the opener's coming fast. It's coming a week earlier this year because of the world cup in November in Qatar. So it's coming uh, February 26th at Philadelphia. It'll be here before you know it. 
Yeah, it's only a few weeks out. Um, you know, last season, they, they reached the postseason for the third consecutive year, but I would say, you know, their season ended more abruptly than they would have liked with that, you know, first round playoff exit. You know, they really leaned on veterans, it felt like last year, really kind of added some some pieces. There's been some additions and subtractions this season already, this offseason. How do you, you know, as we think about this year's roster, how do you think it sets up for them uh, so far, at least, you know, until they potentially add more, you know, in, in, in these various transfer windows as well? Yeah, because they still have a couple, as many as three to five more guys that he says that they're going to add. I mean, one of them is Luis Amaria, the the striker who was there two years ago. Uh, and the other guy is uh, Honduran who's playing against the U.S. tomorrow night. I think it's pronounced Curvin um, Ariaga. And then I think there's a domestic player they added, and maybe even a, a couple more. And I don't know if any of those guys are guys that they're going to aim towards that MNUFC2 uh, roster, their second team that they're, they're starting here play at the end of, of March or not. But as you mentioned, you can tell by their offseason moves that they, they said, you know, we've got to get younger and faster. I mean, uh, and, you know, they, had, they, they have to kind of work the salary cap, which really isn't going up much, but they keep adding players to it. So, um, uh, you know, out goes Ozzy Alonzo, out goes uh, Ethan Finley, um, and one more that I'm missing here. And uh, in, in comes, you know, young guys, a couple of them on, under this new under-22 initiative uh, that gives you a um, salary cap break uh, for, for signing uh, young, promising players to contracts. Um, last thing for you here, Jerry's talking about Minnesota United. I mean, I think we talked a lot last season about you know Adrian Heath and his job status. It seems like he's obviously come through that offseason just fine. Um Feels like the stakes still, though, are, are fairly high for him this season, even after making the playoffs three years in a row. Yeah, um, let's backtrack a little bit. Jan Gregush, that was the third guy that I had forgotten that has gone elsewhere. But as far as with Adrian, yeah, he uh, he got a contract extension a year ago, but I think that ends up that only runs through this year. So um, unless they do something, you know, b- before the season, that that's going to be. Uh, a little bit of a factor to take note of, but um, you know he's had this is his what uh, second or third year now that he's had control of the the, the roster pretty much, and um, we'll see. I mean, uh, last year they that was just a hard year from the beginning when they start 0 and 4 and they were just climbing up the hill and, and couldn't get. You really got to try to get yourself a a home field advantage in the, in the playoffs, and they couldn't couldn't do that. So we'll see if they can start better here from from the very beginning. See how much of those young guys they can use. How much those guys become kind of development players for the for the second team, um, and uh, you know see what they can get uh, out of this front four that they put together last year. But you know really they kind of had to work all season to kind of come together with uh, Ludd on the right and Fragapani on the left and Uno and and Reynoso. You know if those if those guys come and if Uno starts playing like uh, uh, you know what they expected from him, he's he was sort of like. Uh, Ludd in his first year, a um, lot of chances, didn't convert, didn't wasn't very productive. Fans said, "What would they go and get him for?" And then uh, Robin in the second year really kind of came into his own. And I think they're kind of hoping with a full training, uh, full uh, preseason that uh, that uh, Adrian Unu does the same. Sounds good, Jerry Zagoda. Appreciate the soccer knowledge on daily delivery. Stay. Warm Wednesday night. Enjoy the uh, the World Cup qualifier, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Yeah, I gotta go look for my Sorels and my choppers. You better get them. Get them out, baby. Thanks, Jerry. 
All right, bye. Good stuff from Jerry Zagoda. Just noticing the forecast now that we're a little closer to the start of tonight's game. Looks like it'll be a degree or two above zero. Maybe they even lucked out a little bit in this case because it could have been worse, although uh, the wind chill will probably make that feels-like temperature more like minus 10 or minus 15. That is not ideal soccer conditions, and we'll see. Like Jerry said, um, does that benefit in any way um, Honduras, even though they're not used to at all playing in such cold weather? I don't think the U.S. is used to playing in this cold of weather, and is that a neutralizing factor uh, when one team is better than the other? We will find out Wednesday night at Allianz Field. Let's turn our attention to the Timberwolves for a little bit. A 130-115 to win over the Nuggets on Tuesday night. Interesting game because a lot of different players contributed. Anthony Edwards did not do much at all. I think he had five points in the game, and they scored 130 didn't really need him. They had a lot of other things going in that game, including um, Torian Prince, big game for him. He had 23 points off the bench and was a plus 22. He got good good play again from Malik Beasley. He got a good effort from Jordan McLaughlin with uh, with D'Angelo Russell out. Cronthony Towns had 24 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals. He's been going pretty well lately and just really the bench told the story of this game really took it over in the second quarter in particular as the as the Wolves expanded their lead from you know just a a small lead to a 20 point lead um in in that second quarter but you know another good win let's let's hear from Chris Finch who's really you know doesn't always the praise from Chris Finch isn't always um I, I think he he's he's genuine with his praise but he doesn't dish it out um in overly large proportions and so I thought this was an interesting quote from him after this game which got the Wolves to 26 and 25. You know I think you know said many many times this this team really likes each other they really root for each other they're fun to be around they have fun with each other Um, it's just like everyone's game had to settle into a role Uh, and you know I think we're 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 kind of there but you know as we know things change quick (laughs) Now, that was an important win in the big picture, too, because as the Wolves start thinking about the playoffs, again, it's a, it's a ways off, still 31 games left in their regular season, but basketball reference gives them a pretty good chance of getting there right now, 88%. And that's the straight-up playoffs, not just the play-in there. Basketball reference has them basically as a lock to get at least into the play-in right now, has them likely has their most likely record at the end of the season at 44 and 38 a lot of that driven by a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way particularly in February and Denver is one of those teams they would try to catch to get into that top six right now it looks like they would be more in that seven range which would put them into the play-in portion need to need to win at least one of those games to get into the to get into the playoffs beyond just the play-in but Good win for the Wolves. They've been going pretty well lately, kind of muddled through a tougher stretch when a lot of people were out and they were playing some tough games and got through it pretty well. And all of a sudden, now look at them go um, you know, go towards the playoffs and we'll see how far they can get. Let's finish with the cooler. Tom Brady made it official, official on, uh, on Tuesday, announcing on Instagram that he is, in fact, retiring. Um, I don't want to get into the greatest of all time debate. Uh, it's those those types of things are kind of fun, but they're also kind of reductive. I, I think Brady's a great quarterback. I don't think he's the greatest passer I've ever seen. I think Aaron Rodgers 
maybe is the greatest passer I've ever seen, but uh, certainly Brady's accomplishments. When you win seven Super Bowls, uh, you put yourself in a certain category. What I want to do at the end, though, is uh, I just saw a Twitter thread about you know, different local papers being petty with uh, with with Brady's retirement. You know, uh, tweets out of New York saying Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever lose two Super Bowls to the Giants, or you know, Tom Brady, comma who lost two Super Bowls to the Giants, is retiring, stuff like that. Just you know, the lo- finding the local angle. Now, the local angle in Minnesota could be that he never lost to the Vikings. That he was six and zero in his career against the Vikings. But if I had to craft my petty Tom Brady tweet, it would go something like this. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time who also has a lower career passer rating than Kirk Cousins, is retiring after 22 seasons. And that is indeed a fact. Tom Brady's career passer rating, 97.6. Kirk Cousins' career passer rating, 98.6. Do with you, Do what you want with that stat. That will do it for today. Good stuff coming up on Thursday and Friday. I'm sure we'll have to talk Vikings again with Harbaugh interviewing today. Should have Sarah McClellan on one of those shows as well to talk wild at the midpoint of their season. Thanks again so much for joining me. I'm Michael Rand. Be back at it again on Thursday. 